and welcome to Tax Yak, a tax banter podcast. We love yakking about tax, so we've invited a range of tax experts and practitioners to have a chat with us. We hope you enjoy this episode of Tax Yak. I'm Robin Jacobson, a senior tax trainer with Tax Banter, and your host of today's podcast. I'm joined by Brent Soleil, Managing Director, SIVA. Brent has been in public practice for nearly 15 years, initially in tax and business services, and co-founded SIVA in July 2012. In 2013, he was listed in In the Black magazine's Top 40 Business Leaders Under 40. And just recently, his practice, SIVA, was awarded the winner of the Accountants Daily Wellness Program Initiative of the Year. Brent is a fellow of CPA Australia, a past chair of CPA Australia's Victorian Public Practice Committee, and is currently a Victorian Divisional Councillor and a member of the Public Practice Advisory Committee. He has recently completed the Sustainable Firm National Roadshow for CPA Australia, sharing his insights that underpin the success of his practice with fellow members, and explaining how public practitioners can develop their skills to help support their business and that of their clients. Brent, welcome to Taxiac. Thank you, Robin. Thank you for having me. Great to have you here. Very excited. All right, so the focus of today's discussion, we're going to look at how you and your practice have managed to turn the compliance water into consulting wine. Great name. Really good name. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm really happy to talk to you about that. So this is really uh, the notion that we can have a conversation with a client that starts with uh, the basic tax obligations, the annual compliance work, and turn it into something that is value-added advisory work. So perhaps can you give us some background on how this approach came about? Why did you decide to uh, deal with this in in terms of your firm and your clients in this manner? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Probably has a lot to do with my background. Like I didn't go through the traditional paths of university, um, you know, straight out of school into university and into an accounting degree. I went and worked first, and um, I suppose that opened my eyes up to um, a world, you know, the business world, for the first time. So while the rest of us were studying and doing exams, you were getting real world experience. I was, yeah, and, I, and it started pretty easily. My, I, I wanted to be a sports. You know, professional sports person that didn't work out so I didn't really have a lot of ambition beyond that too far although I in high school um, I went back and changed all my science subjects to uh, business subjects and that I had a real interest in accounting legal and all that sort of thing so there was definitely a taste for it there but um, university I went I went to, into Geelong and it just didn't really work for me at the start um, and a friend of mine was working in town with a suit and I said get me a job so you know I went and before you knew it I was working for legal firms basically consulting for different legal firms and just getting to know how they work was quite interesting to me and doing bookkeeping and management accounting really and was this commercial law at the time or tax law uh, not, nothing in particular. It was literally been up to over hundreds of uh, law firms. Okay. Their accounting system, which you think might be a leap, which is people who know it, the legal industry is like um, attached to zero now. But it was there's this uh, old software called Locus. There's an old DOS-based program, and, and it was the accounting software that everyone would use. And um, unfortunately, or fortunately for me, it had lots of bugs in it, and I was taught how to use it very well. And um, so I, I was able to go around and consult at a really young age. I was only 19, 20 years old and, and going into these places with my suit on and, <laughs> and fixing these problems and, and, but also doing, learning the bookkeeping and accounting side of things. And I, I really enjoyed that. I loved it. Um, and it just evolved from there. Yeah, it really did. Like uh, the curiosity of, of how the things can improve has always been something which has been big with me. Um, and then I did it for a couple of years and then I, I realised I needed to get a little bit more 
credibility um, and, and knowledge. So I went back and finished my degree at night. So I was literally working during the night, my night school, and working during the day in my business, uh, which I did go out to my, on my own at that point. Um, and eventually I finished my degree and then rolled my little legal consulting into a traditional tax practice. Um, and because I was really, I was really keen to get into that. Like I, I was, especially I had a major as a CPA and I just loved the designation and the brand. It was, I thought it was had a real status about it. Um, I didn't know a lot about it, but what I did know was, and I said to myself back then, I can remember clearly that, you know, accounting is something which I think is just a skill you'd love to learn and you'd learn how to run a business. And that was really exciting for me. So, um, I went down that pathway and it was it was really good. I, I, I'm glad that I did. I did tax for a few years. Um, yeah, so and I ended up uh, with part of that practice for a few years before that firm merged with uh, a firm in Geelong, which I became a partner of, and they were very strong. My partners in business, and that just really played to my strength. And I love. I really enjoyed that. I got my eyes open really widely, um, and had a great experience for a few years there before I started Siva in 2012. So at that point, when you started Siva. You've got this practical experience. You're doing things perhaps differently to other firms. What did you see in the market that was being done in the traditional way and why did you think that was not the way for you? I think my nature is definitely not to go down the direct path. I just have something about me which just likes to go another way. Um, I'm curious, um, but I think I, I think it comes down to my values of wanting to do more. I, I want to go really deep with our clients. I want to have a, an impact. Um, so curiosity got the best of me and I really literally just sat down with the clients and I'd sit down and say, what, what do you guys want? What do you want as your future? And those questions, you know, asking forward, um, allowed me to have a really great discussion. And I think, you know, when you ask a question and just shut up and listen, it's so powerful. Uh, and I think sometimes we make the mistake of talking too much and trying to tell the, our clients what we want and, and it's the wrong way around. Um, and, was, and when I started Siva in July 2012, cloud computing, cloud, cloud systems have just started really and zero was just uh, coming, up, uh, coming up and we, me in particular, saw an opportunity just to have a much deeper engagement with our clients. Like if we could host their accounting uh, general ledger in our live, not portal, but on, online, we could have a great discussion with them and, and that was the launch of Siva. That was the purpose of really getting into it and, and saying, let's get everybody onto zero or a cloud system and let's have a look at this on a regular basis so we can actually say, let's look forward and start to see how we can help. Brent, do you think had zero not been available, so let's go back 20 or 30 years, do you think your model would still work today or is it really reliant on this cloud-based environment? Well, I think it just enables it to work much better. <clears throat> um, back in the day, I think it was so hard to get uh, real-time information from your client like if you remember I'm not sure if you remember Robin but um, if, if you experienced it but we literally had to wait for you know a disc to come in from a client through the mail hey I'm older than you I remember the old floppy discs did you, did you do of course did I did traditional accounting absolutely yeah so it was just it was it was just so the minute that left the office it was old and that that just makes it so much more difficult so I'm sure it would be up be possible but it'd be a lot harder and I don't think it would be able to be as wide uh, mainstream as what it is now. So I think it's definitely opened up that opportunity for people to have better advice um, with their clients and advisors. So with your practice, you've deliberately targeted business clients? Yes. Yep. In particular, yep. Yep. Um, purely because I think, um, you know, I think the nature of who we were attracting were people like myself. And naturally, a client base normally reflects yourself. 
you know, 10 or 10 years plus either way. And I was that person. I was starting out in business. I was having a crack and I was energetic. Um, I could definitely, and the starting point of all that was a tax discussion. Okay, it was always that people needed an advisor. People in business needed an advisor. They needed an accountant. Uh, and people with their accountant, I think, with, as a badge of honour, some of them, they really enjoyed their trusted relationship with their accountant. I love that. I really did. And I got a real thirst for it. Um, I wanted to help them as much as I could with the tax side of things. And then I said, I just naturally said, what else can I help you with? And it really evolved into that um, engagement. So if I'm a new client and I might have been dealing with a, another firm that has a more traditional model, uh, might see me once a year as part of the compliance, they might do my BASs through um, remote access, they may not. But if I come to you and start to have a conversation with you, what does this look like? We, we start with tax? Absolutely. I start with foundation. We need to make sure we're, we're ticking off the box and reducing risk. So we'd understand exactly what you're, what, you're, what you're doing right now in your business. When people come to us, they normally have a problem. Okay, And, we, and the first thing you want to do is listen to that and then help them out to solve it. Because if you start talking about things too broadly at that point, um, it's not relevant for them. They've normally got a pain that you want to deal with. And that, if you do that and listen carefully, um, you build up, you can build trust with them pretty quickly and deliver on what you say you're going to do. But once that, once that happens, um, you know, it's pretty quick that we would go down our new, usual process and understand what the structure of their business is, really important. Now, often people start a business and have just started off on a smell of an oily rag and you know, shareholders are just in personal names, directors are in both mum and dad's names. There's no real thought about asset protection at that point in time. Is that typically something they have done themselves or would they often have got <clears throat> advice from an accountant? Yeah, look, I would think that they would have had an advice from the accountant. Not, not many people set it up themselves, but mm. I just, the, the early stages of a business, and even I do this now, I say don't invest too much time initially or, or cost because you just want to make sure that you're going to actually get a return on that. Some, t- some people are testing out their, still testing it, their business out to see if it's something they're going to, going to do mainstream. So, um, it is a little bit like that. Um, and those foundational things like record keeping, making sure how you're keeping records, putting them into the right system, getting them onto a system such as zero, and it could be any cloud system now, it doesn't really matter. Um, and that again, enables us to see what's happening. You know, if we can rely on those figures going in and they're right, then we can give better advice. Okay, and these are the foundational type things, asset protection, record keeping, and making sure everything's set up. And then from there, We'll start to talk to them about them, their own personal goals and objectives, okay? And that's from a business perspective and personal because it really is personal at the end of the day. And the business is just a vehicle. It's one of their biggest assets outside their home to deliver them their wealth personally. Um, so that's the way we talk to them about what are your goals and objectives with your business? What are your personal life goals and objectives? And how do we start to put that into a bit of a plan moving forward to help you um, start to go on that journey together? I'll come back to more specific shortly, but in these conversations which are talking about um, their big goals and big picture type issues and personal issues, when we're looking at staff, most of the training that staff get would be technical skills, yes. making sure that they've got their nuts and bolts and they know how to do their debits and credits and, and so on. Is the training at your firm, therefore, more also focused on some of these soft skills? Because there would be skills needed to have these conversations with clients. So I guess what I'm asking is, are these conversations confined to the director level or does yeah. it work all the way down to staff? That's a really good question. Um, I think what happened is I was testing new order for myself. I've never been shown how to do this in a firm. Um, it was just something which I went down the pathway of. And it wasn't until I did, did this for a number of years, until I got enough experience to know what was valuable and how to ask the right questions. I was just asking a lot of questions to start with. 
and it's now that I've been doing it for such a long time, I'm looking to share that experience across the board with the team. And we're teaching our team how to have those conversations and, and have better conversations with our clients. So it's almost like I've had to figure it out first for myself before I could start to then start to pass that along to the other guys in the team. Because at the end of the day, we get excited about helping as many people as we can. And that doesn't mean that I have to have that discussion. I, I think it's really just a personal, a people skills um, they're really people skills we're developing here, not necessarily technical skills. Something like going straight into a tax issue, the instant asset write-off. It's something that has been dropped in front of businesses for years and years. The, the government keeps extending it. We may well see another extension next yeah. year. How often do you see your clients? And something like that measure, which even this year, it's been very fluid. We've had announcements both in, in January and then again with the budget. So are these conversations that you can keep coming back to with clients because you're seeing them on a much more regular basis? Yeah, I don't think I answered that question for you before. Um, so what we generally do with our clients once we work out the foundation nuts and bolts is we get them into a, a business program. And that may be a monthly, a bi-monthly or a quarterly meeting. How structured is that? Very structured. So we workshop the initial objectives. We literally model their business over a couple of years and then we'll bring it back to a, a an annual budget, okay? And that what that does is set goals and milestones and it gives us a benchmark to measure against. If you're just looking at a set of numbers and they're not comparable to something, it doesn't mean anything, okay? So it's really important that we set that up and then when we meet up on a regular basis, we can start to have meaningful discussions about what was our expectation at the start of the year um, based on what we thought then. Is it going better than that or is it not going better than that? And we can start to adjust what we then do next based on what we pre already thought. Um, so to answer your question about the, the instant write-off, we're constantly having discussions with our clients on the regular basis. So we know that the tax benefits, we're keeping tax record as we go because we know what the score is. We're keeping score every month or every quarter and that includes tax as well. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't translate to a more meaningful discussion or a, a, a more uh, timely discussion than this time of the year which is tax planning and we do a lot of tax planning and if there is a need to uh, you know buy an asset which needs to be written off throughout the year we, that would be translated already if it wasn't already known but this time of the year we really challenge everybody to think about how they could proactively use that benefit um, for their business if they're going to go and buy something a piece of equipment for their business in the new year they might as well bring that forward and do it now well we what I don't like is people going to buy something just for the sake of a tax benefit. It just doesn't make sense. So when you're having conversations with clients, because there's so much out there in terms of what the media does, the retailers, everyone's <clears throat> trying to push an agenda. So when a client comes to you and says, look, my mate said, you know, the Friday night pub yes, syndrome, yes. Um, how do you deal with that? How do you make sure the correct information is going across to them? It's a good good one. We, we get that a lot, like, you know, and most of the time, almost all of the time, they've got about 80% of it right but there's a bit of detail that's missing. And I think we just have to give that context to them saying, look, it, it sounds like your friend at the barbecue is getting this benefit, but what's really happening is is why. And, and we explain that to them. A big part of what we do, I think, is what makes our, our clients be comfortable and trust us is that we educate them as well. Um, I don't want to just have this one way, you know, this is how it works. And they walk away not knowing really how it works. We, we take the time to to educate them so they can then be useful and tell other people as well um, and but also I think when you know something and you've been taught it um, it doesn't become so overwhelming overwhelming and frightening and that's the sort of relationship we want to have with our clients. 
cash flow is a huge part of running any business. And a lot of clients do struggle to understand the difference between profit and cash flow. But cash flow, you can't use that expression or use that term without tax being in the same sentence. And obviously, when we look at a a startup business in particular, a lot of businesses struggle with the idea that there's no tax being paid in the first year because the instalments haven't kicked in yet. And then you get this huge tax bill in year two. So how do you manage clients' expectations with that? And do you see with um, perhaps some other firms who are funding chatting to their client once a year yeah. and every compliance season, this could come as a big surprise? Yeah. Whereas if you're talking to your clients on a much more regular basis, that must be managed better. Yeah, it is. And it's almost that, that question you just said about the instalments is all, uh, people have come to us with a big frustration with their accountants of saying, I didn't know about this tax bill coming. <clears throat> so um, the, the way we handle cash flow in our business program is that we measure it by forecasting cash flow at the end of each month or each quarter. And we leave, I don't let any client walk out the door without knowing their cash flow for the next six months in advance. Okay, And that's made up of not just the profit and loss items, noting the difference between profit and cash flow, but the non um, the balance sheet items that we're actually repaying of debt. Um, ATO payment arrangements, it's a, it's a real thing out there. A lot of people in payment arrangements, which is coming out of after-profit money. Um, so factoring all this in, plus keeping up with instalments that might be coming along the way. Um, drawings, another big problem that people you know fail to see that they're actually taking money out of the business without really taking a wage, and it's hard to, for them to, to actually measure that. So all these things are brought into a discussion about, well, these are coming, your profit might be $20,000 a month, but you know what, you're spending thirty because you're repaying the ATO, you're repaying debt to your car and your loan and you're actually drawing money beyond what you have. And that's not sustainable. That's not sustainable. So the discussion that we're having at that point in time is that if we, at the next six months, you're actually going to go into a negative position from your cash perspective. So we need to do something about that now, proactively. We either need to reduce our spending in certain ways or if we are gearing up and investing in the business, we need to get a little bit more funding right now. So is there a short-term loan available that we can potentially um, put into the business to fund that next bit of growth? Um, or that shortfall, um, or how are we going to write it out? And that's a really private discussion. That's, that's for me, the most um, beneficial discussion that we have with our clients before they leave because it's giving them the empowerment to make decisions. Firstly, we're giving them the visibility. They can't see the future that we can see, okay? Um, and, and we can't do it without doing actual modelling. But if we model that out and show them something that they can't see, that is so valuable. Your client will love you forever for doing that. And then from there, it might not be good news, but at least you're telling them in advance because then you've got a chance. Well, you can prepare for it. You, that's right. You've got a chance. And when you get to the actual, the actual. and you're looking back on your budget yes. and it differs, yes. there might be different reasons for that. Was your budget wrong in the first place? Yes. Or have you just exceeded or not met your budget? Yeah. So how fluid is the budget and how often are you updating this? That's a good question. Um, the... the the budgets, it's important to note the difference between how we go about it anyway. Um, we try to be a bit corporate, but keep it in a casual way. Budgets for me are set at the start of the year. You set them at the start of the year and don't change them, okay? Because that was our expectation at that point in time. Now, the forecast, which we then bring into play as we go, that keeps rolling and adjusting as we need to. Um, budgets often are aspirational. I think we all sometimes think that we're going to do more or do things quicker than what we are going to do. Yeah. And it's not that it doesn't get there in the end, but my experience is, is that we all think it's going to happen a bit quicker than what it, what it does. So quite often the budget's not quite meeting, um, the performance isn't quite meeting where the budget sort of stands. And uh, that's okay because what that means is we just need to make sure, okay, what impact is that going to have on your cash flow? 
Okay, and that's that's really the discussion we want to be having. At the same time, um, you know, things change so quickly in small business that to, even just for one year to project a budget, it can change completely. One big contract can change for a small business. Um, growth can happen re really exponentially or rapidly. Um, so you, you need to be dynamic. And again, giving the insight as to what effect any change is going to have, good or for worse, losing a contract, what does that mean to your cash flow? Winning a new contract, do we need to put some people on? How much money do we need to invest in the next three to six months to put those that group of people on in order for us to build our team to take on that contract? There's a proactive, proactive discussions about cash flow, which I think every business owner needs, as opposed to just making a decision on the gut instinct and then we're having to deal with the mess later. There would still be some accounting firms out there where it's a very traditional relationship that it's about preparing annual tax returns, preparing the financials. Um, you might sit down and look at some cash flow and forecasts and so on. But how do we, I guess, with uh, accountants that are tr um, dealing with that more traditional approach, how do we turn it into a conversation that goes into a whole of business approach? Because the client's got to be prepared to pay for these extra services. Yeah. So can I firstly ask you about the billing side of it yes. and then talk about the value that the client's getting out of that? Because this could end up costing them more over the course of 12 months than if they were just going with a traditional, please come and prepare my annual compliance work. Yeah, that's right. So how does the billing work first up? So we, 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 we quote everything up front and we have set fees for like our business program. We call it a CFO program. And depending on the complexity of the business, it might be between $500 a month to $1,000 a month. Now, CFO just means you're outsourcing that CFO outsourcing. role. They're outsourcing it to you, rather. They're outsourcing it to us, giving us that um, responsibility, I suppose, to set their budgets, set their forecasts, meet with them on a semi-regular basis. That's that's a quarterly engagement, generally, those ones. Um, yeah, and that and that's... If you annualise what that means, it might be between you know six dollars to $12,000 spend. Now, we're just talking as a... I try to have something that's pretty packaged so yep. then everybody can talk about it. We can adjust as we need to. But we believe, and we say quite openly, if we can't provide this value back to you, you don't have to pay for it. Because How do you measure that value? Well, I suppose they do because they're in the eyes of the beholder. But um, we know that we can... Um, Reduce, we can improve their cash flow by keeping tax at a minimisation. And that's just using the, the structures that they have in place. Okay, that's a really easy one because we can actually measure that one. Um, by giving them the support that they need, that they want along the way. I mean, that's, an, that's a value which is a bit hard to measure. Um, okay, so yeah, the, the value is definitely measured in, in, in physical cash. So I think in, in tax savings and, and growth in their business, they're things that we can literally... And some of the tax savings, can you just elaborate on that? Yeah, like so this time is like, again, introducing things such as instant write-off, um, deferring income for years, prepaying interest and expenses, um, very, very big at this time of year. Um, superannuation is still a great vehicle to build wealth over a period of time. So Again, these are all things which, if we do proactively, can have a big impact on deferring. We're just deferring tax a lot of the time to the following year, yep. and that leaves cash in the pocket for the team to be able to uh, the the business um, to be able to keep growing their business. Because at the end of the day, it's limited resources, and as long as the cash can stay in the business for as long as they can, by not paying tax or sorry reducing the amount of tax they pay or deferring to the year after, allows them to grow that little bit more and reinvest back into the business. And hopefully not spend it or take it personally. So with structures, if a client walks into your practice and they've got a structure that you think is not optimum 
for their particular circumstance. Um, There are various tax measures we can use to do that. For example, the small business restructure rollover or the small business CGT concessions. So you would avail the clients of these wherever possible? Yes, it's a a really big one because the structure of which people start with in business can change depending on how the business grows. Okay, and we start them out generally with a, a Often there's a discretionary trust and companies are involved. And it used to be more discretionary trust with a company as a trustee for a smaller business. But because of the tax benefits now for companies, it, it's flipping around a little bit. There's R&D concessions, there's grants, and all those things available for a business owner. Look, this is a really interesting part of the conversation because historically, and I found this in training sessions, you would always say, well, you know, if you're going to be trading, you use a company, but if you're going to have any assets and growing wealth, you do that back in a trust. But we've got so many measures now applying to trusts. Um, we don't need to worry for the moment about Labor's proposed 30% minimum <laughs> tax on distributions, but that was something that potentially was going to um, have a huge impact on that as well. Yeah. The base rate entity tax rates, you know, they'll be with 25% within a couple of years. Yeah. And it's changing the conversation about where people put assets. Yeah. And okay, companies don't get discount, but with that much lower tax rate than we've had in the past, it's, it's interesting how this is opening up that discussion. It is, it is. And... There's because a lot of the money that uh, is made stays within the company and gets reinvested. Particularly in the early stages of early building stages, up. Absolutely. But what happens in a trust is that it gets paid out and then taxes paid. You may not even receive the money, or quite likely that you haven't received the money. So at least in a company situation where there are profits generating, it gets it gets retained in the company and taxed at a lower rate. Um, you know that that's that's beneficial, especially again linking it to the longer term plan. Okay, we can't keep chopping and changing structures each year, but it's got to be in line with what their goals and objectives are. And if, if that is, they are going for you know a large growth type of business, then we want to make sure that we are paying a minimal amount of tax and retaining the profits in the company and only paying a small amount of tax, as opposed to maybe paying you know forty six and a half percent on the way out. And that's not introducing anything bucket companies or anything like that. That's that's just using their marginal tax rates. Now, start running with companies more as a maybe a preferred vehicle. We do run into potential Div 7A issues. So yeah. how do you manage those with clients? It's interesting. Um, firstly, upfront and proactive. So we want to get an understanding of you know what what they need to live off outside the business. Um, we, we sort of look at the tax rates of, of going all the way up to 180s being around that average rate of around a tax company tax rate. So if you start to look at and just and another thing is important is the shareholder we always have as a trust as well. So we've still got some flexibility once that comes out. So considering we're always balancing when we're looking at someone's structure at what their profits are going to be, including tax and, and sorry, including their salary and their profits, and it starts to get up and up and up. Um, we will retain that a lot of that profit in a company. If they're going to if they need that personally, because quite often they want to upgrade their house or do something like that, then again it's about timing that. At the end, at the right time of the year, with other tax deductions and, and tax planning, so we can minimise any any benefit. We we do actually go into a proactive Division Seven A loan agreement if we need to at times, um, and that's when we're being proactive. Often we have we don't have that choice, and clients have just taken the money already out of the company. Even when you've seen them so regularly. Yeah, it's it's very regular. It's that drawing. It's the you know that we might be paying with a company would like to pay a wage generally of some sort, but you know. It, does come down to them still taking the money out of the company and, that, and that's you know because they see money there and if they don't know what where it's 
where it's allocated, they can get you some understanding that it's available money. But if you're seeing them so frequently during the year, yep. then you'd really get to year end and not know that money has been yeah. taken. So you've always got these opportunities to look, turn it back into a dividend or create a wage or whatever you're going to do with it. Always, and we deal with it before 30 June. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's important. Uh, and another thing that we do as well as proactive, just even cash flow management, is get the clients to have set like a number of bank accounts running. So within the business, within the business, because that, that trading account, if you think even from a BAS perspective, it can just build up and build up and build up. And naturally, when you see a bank balance, if you see a client, often they measure their, you know, how they're going by their bank balance, and they're not really seeing the picture of how much is theirs and how much is the taxman's or the superman or the. Uh, whoever that might be. And unfortunately, if you look at a bank balance, it doesn't say, well, by the way, in brackets, we've got these things scheduled for the next two or three months 100%. and they come out. 100%. And they're not thinking about that mentally when they look at that balance. So, yeah, we, we try to get them into the practice of saying, let's transfer X amount out per month into this tax account. Now, you can borrow from it, okay? You can you can lend from it um, as you need to, as your, your cash flow fluctuates, but it's, it's important that you know that there is a, a liability building up there. And that's a good thing because tax might not be due for that for 12 months. Now, that, that would cover things like your, your best payments and your PAYG instalments. Yes, and super. I was about to ask you about super. Yeah. Because SG is one of those things that, depending how often employers pay it, but that can build up to some sizable figures once a quarter. And then sometimes it doesn't get paid. Well, not sometimes. We know it's not so being paid yeah. in many cases. Yeah, that's the case. Uh, absolutely. And that, I think, gives everybody a clearer picture as to what really is left over for them to reinvest back into the business because all too much, the biggest problem I see is that we're using the tax dollar because they're last to be paid, the GSTs and the supers, to, to fund that next part of the business and it's not it's not right and that's where people get caught out with the tax bill. They don't know that they've got a $50,000 bash due at the end of the quarter or they've got $20,000 of super. It's a couple, string a couple of bad quarters together, you're 100 grand down and it's hard to come back from that. It really is and you end up going into this cycle um, of short-term cash flow management, um, trying to refinance um, and in this environment right now, it is very hard to refinance. So despite interest rates being so low, which is a low cost for business when they borrow, the fact is they can't get the principal in the first place. Yeah, right, right now. Um, I think in the past people have done that. They've, they've stretched themselves a little bit in the business um, and that's okay. They've refinanced a, a, a private asset because naturally our house prices have gone up over a long period of time and they've been able to inject that back into the business. Um, but right now, it's catching some people out big time because the, even a good loan from a financier with good serviceability um, is still not getting over the line all the time like it used to. Um, so it, it's an interesting environment. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of pain. When there's a conversation had about the tax affairs of a client, they walk into your office, how much time is spent looking historically back at the figures and signing off returns and and going through the results as opposed to these forecasts and, okay, strategically, what do we do with this and where do we go to from here? How would you basically divvy up the time between those two things? Look, the important thing to note is it's, it's all very important. Like Compliance is important, so is strategy. They, they, it's a threat to one another, so we've got to make sure that the compliance is done. And to be clear, you're not underplaying that no part way. at all. No, no. I, I think it's worth specifically talking about it. We, we take tax and compliance very seriously, um, but we just sort it out. And it's, so it's not a problem for the client to sit there and worry about it. We just sort it out. Um, so we make sure that they're up to date with all the compliance. We get it lodged. On time, you know, we're all getting our um, lodgement readings now back from the ATO, and we're right up there, you know, over 90%. We make sure it's, it's excellent. Out. We have to. Um, that allows us to have a better discussion. 
if we can't get the compliance sorted out and we want to talk strategically, I think it's a bit contradicting. We get the, the compliance sorted out, get that monkey off their back, peace of mind for the client that they know where they stand proactively um, in advance of what they need to pay. And then we can start to have a better discussion um, in, our, in our meetings. We won't call them in for a year-end meeting because we're going to see them in the next quarter anyway or the next month or so anyway. Um, it just defeats the purpose. So we want to make sure we're seeing our business clients four to five or six times a year. Okay, um, you know, And that's quarterly meetings, uh, that's a tax planning meeting, and it may be one other meeting. So the signing off of the annual accounts, that formal annual process, yes. is that typically a separate meeting or is that just built into one of these built others? In, um, and the way we work is, because we've already done tax planning, that we have a, a measure on our reporting saying how much different to tax planning is it. If it's substantial, um, we'd obviously call them saying well, this is finished and we're going to let you know that it's coming. It's different to what we projected. Now, whether that needs a meeting or not, not usually because we're normally all over it. Um, so that's okay. So in terms of the signing of the documents, we send everything out electronically um, and it's only if there is a big variance to the tax planning or what we expected that that wouldn't get signed and sent back straight away. And can I just pause you on that before we continue? There's a big discussion going on at the moment about TFNs yes. and the privacy rules and how you can't just send them in emails. Um, I've got my own issue with this because if you look at a payment slip when you make a tax payment, yeah. in the PRN, the payment reference number, of that long series of numbers, your TFN's buried in the middle. So yeah. it doesn't take a genius to work out what your yeah. TFN is. Let's leave that to one side for the moment. Electronic sending of documents, is there a secure way you send these or it's just bundled up in an email? Um, in the DocuSign, yeah, just through that. We don't have a portal okay. or anything. We're definitely moving towards that. Yeah. Because just with the, I suppose, the distraction of so many emails we're getting at the moment and the security. But um, at the moment, we just send anything over the email we cover up everything, no? Like, we cover up the tax file numbers with the software. Allows so it's obscured. Yeah, it's yeah. obscured, yeah. But I'd imagine a lot of people don't have that access mm. to do it. I know that we did, never used to do it. Like, it wasn't until a few years ago that we were doing it, doing that. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's in, it's definitely important. A, a portal, I think, is where we're moving to, to have a, you know, give a client their world so they can go into their own world. I know a lot of people do that, um, and that's I think that's a good way to do it. Brent, the ATO is replacing its old portal, pothole as many like to call it, and I've got to throw that in, um, to this new ATO online services. And for the first time, we're going to have not just the ability to push up to the ATO and lodge information, as we always have, but they can push back down greater pre-fills and so on. Do you see that accounting firms are going to be able to make great use of this information that's going to improve the way that they interact with clients? Y yes, um, and you've just sparked something which we're working on now. Um, a lot of the correspondence still comes through via mail. The old paper coming, getting sent in the mail. The snail mail. Snail mail. Whereas I know that there's a one of the providers out there are getting an electronic communication through from the ATO, and that's getting dumped into a, a program and being able to be put into letters pretty easily and quickly, and being sent out to clients in a much more efficient way. That's something I'm super excited about because it's it takes our admin team a lot a lot to do that in, in the old traditional way. Um, and I think if we could streamline that, that, that's going to be great. And I think that's just an example of many other benefits we're going to start to see. I mean, the pre-filling is just getting better and better um, all the time. Um, it started out with you know, just a, a one line, but now there's just so much in that that just doesn't need us or require us to go back to the client and get information. That's, that's huge because the biggest, one of the biggest bottlenecks in a compliance firm or an accounting firm with compliance is getting information from your client. 
Okay, so if the ATO's got some of this information already from, from anywhere, um, that's going to be a big, a big benefit for And us. that includes the, oh, yes, I forgot to tell you about that property I sold. Absolutely. You'll know about this already. Interest on bank accounts we didn't know about, um, you know, shares. There's just, there's just so much going into it now, which is so much better because a lot of people aren't very good at keeping records. The ones that are are brilliant, um, but it's only 30 or 40%, I'd say, and that's probably even a bit high. Most people don't keep great records, so I think the more the ATO can do and other agents, government agencies to supply us with this information, and even the technology companies are doing it now, like something like HubDocs where you can just um, get a lot, in contact these authorities directly and get the, get the information in directly from the authorities is just huge. Again, we're taking away pain for, from the client and that's valuable. Again, another role from the accountant. I wanted to ask you about tax policy, and this feeds into the discussion we're having about strategic and forward thinking. When you're sitting there planning with clients, it's not just about what's actually going on with their business, but against the backdrop of all that is what the government's doing with tax policy. And this is an ever-changing conversation, as you know. So how do you manage that process with clients where things that have been announced um, you know, get modified because now a bill's hit parliament and it's slightly different to what you told them when you met them three months ago and then it gets amended in the Senate so it changes again. Um, we often get things updating and the final look of a, a bit of legislation could differ from its original policy intent or if the intent is there, the detail has changed. Yeah. So how does this feed into these discussions with clients because you might be sitting here saying, well, look, we're going to do a budget for the next 12 months but we know in that period we're going to have some tax changes along the yeah. way. How does that get factored in? I see them as two different things. Um, with the tax updates, it's really hard. I think we need to be involved with the right people, such as yourself, in the, getting updated with um, the changes because it is a lot to, to take in and remember. Um, the way we handle it with the client is simply just make them aware that you know things might be tax policy might not be through yet. We expect them. We're told that they may be, but until then, we just need to hold back until they finalise. Um, that's and that's just again because we're having consistent regular conversations with our clients we're able to have that uh, conversation regularly the ones that we don't have that because not everyone's in a business program so we need to pick and choose what communications we want to put out to clients because we think it's very important enough to go out there and we might put that into an, an edm you know an electronic email to go and say hey just so you know this has changed or expected to change there you go and that's that's just to keep them informed um with your question in regards to the budget um and, and being strategic, um, look, we, we don't factor them in, in always. The budget isn't necessarily about, um, it's one thing you know about a budget is it's not gonna be right. Um, and I think if we accept that, then it, it's okay. We're setting an expectation of what we, we think might happen. Um, and if that some of that includes some tax policy changes, then we factor that in. It may change and it most likely will. And for better or for worse, it could go in either direction. It, it can, yeah. And, and again, we can only try to, uh, work on the material things that are going to have a big impact, back on the things that matter most, which is normally back to their cash flow. Um, if there is a significant change that's going to affect that, then we would sit and re, um, re um, meet with them again and, and go through that again. It sounds that the clients who are embarking on this business program with you are what I'd call an aspiring client. So they're wanting to stretch themselves, stretch their business. They want to open up possibilities. They want to get the, the most that they can and, and seek that potential. But there must be other clients who aren't in that space or they're not as open-minded. How do you deal with those clients? Do you just accept that that's a, a more traditional way of dealing with them and they pop in once a year and you sign off the accounts? It, it is. Um... Yeah, that's, the, that's a fact. Like, not everybody 
is going through a you know a growth phase of their business or some people are very good with numbers so engineers for example We've got a number of engineering clients um, who have businesses some of them are really excited by the business program some of them have got to sort it out themselves I find them to be very intelligent and, and, and great with numbers and spreadsheets so they're not scared of the numbers but we still get our, their our guidance um, so yeah, that's okay. That's okay. We, we just find that we have more in that aspiring stage than we do less than. You just remind me of the engineer. So if you've got the glass half filled of water and you ask the engineer, is the glass half full or is it half empty? He will tell you that the glass is the wrong size. <laughs> yeah, and that's right. And I'll just agree with them because again, they're uh, very intelligent. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, that's a good question. We don't, we can't quite possibly get everybody onto a program because different businesses are in different stages at all different times, and, and that's okay. We just try to make sure that we're ticking off on the on the um, services and the things that are going to affect their world. Okay, compliance is the no-brainer. Okay, and we're very lucky to have a, a business where a client needs to come to us annually, minimum, quarterly, maybe, and then whenever it's and whenever the shit is the fan outside of that. You know, whereas I work with lawyers or other professional services, they don't need to come back. You know, they, they can go around and move around to another service. They're often one-off transactions, aren't they? One-off transactions. It's hard. It's hard work. They need to keep reinventing their marketing and, and reason why to come in all the time. We are very fortunate to have our clients and they need to come back. And I think that's our job as accountants, I think, is try to create enough space in our business to be able to sit down and listen to them and have a meaningful discussion with them so you can actually listen to what else they're saying and help them with that. And that's really, I think there's a lot of purpose in that. I, I, that's the part I love. We've talked mostly about the clients that are in the growth phase or starting up or expanding. Let's look at the other end, clients that are at the retirement phase. Now, um, you're about my age, so in other words, you talk about clients being roughly within 10 years of your age, but you must have some clients who are at the retirement stage of their life yes. and they're looking at winding down, selling, passing on business to a, a, another generation. Yes. Um, how do you approach it in that manner? Because they may not be interested in all these growth strategies that you've got for the other clients. Yeah, I, not to be confused, I suppose growth is just something that naturally comes from a strategy. People want to grow. If you're not growing, you're shrinking, but you're right. Um, I think... It's just a different plan. If we ask them what your objective is, they might say, I want to be out of the business in five years. Then what do we do from there? Well, we set the business up now ready for that. Prepare it for sale. Prepare it for sale, which is a good... You should be doing that almost anyway, but at least it's clear. It's got a timeline and we've got to work out what the gaps are now in order to get there. Um, That's just from a business sense. Again, we've got to make sure they're personally... Uh, ready for that too so you know we've got a wealth management business which looks after estate planning and superannuation superannuation um, and preparing so we know that we've got enough to retire on if that's what the plan is okay so it's always about working backwards some of the easiest numbers i do with clients which i think is very effective is you know how much do you need to live off if you were never to work again and you know Say it's a hundred thousand dollars. Well, you know, if two millions invested at five percent, there's a hundred thousand for the rest of your life. Now that's straight away gives us a, a, a bit of a goal and objective to start working towards. And you know, when you get the wealth guys in to, to check check out those equations, we want to make sure that they understand that and there is enough uh, in the pool there for them to you know take a backward step at pending a sale of their business or whatever it might be. So what would you say to the firm that wants to get more into this advisory space and, and provide more value to their clients outside of the compliance conversation? Yeah. It, look, it's probably the biggest issue is because there is so much regulation and compliance, the natural space and spare space gets put into that. But in order to provide more advisory 
um, services, you need to create capacity to do that. Okay, without that space, you know, allocated time to literally uh, grow that side of your business, you're going to naturally go back into the compliance. There's so much; it's not going to go anywhere. It's there. Okay, but I've I'm particularly focused on that part of my business where my business partner is looks after the compliance side of things. So we've got space and capacity to work on advisory services. Um, and that's the commitment we've made. So a business comes to us for help, we've already got allocated time to do that. For a business that's trying to make the, the change, it's very difficult because if they've been doing tax and tax only the whole time, their staff are only probably ever done tax themselves as well. So they're not trained up in these other areas either. So if you go to one of, the, one of your staff members and say, can you do a budget for me? They might have done one before but not 100 of them before. So it's not a really streamlined offering for them just yet. Well, there's something that we haven't actually named in this conversation yet. It's management accounting. Yeah, it is, yeah. And it's going back to those nuts and bolts and the things we learnt back at, at uni. Yep. Um, yeah. This is still very alive and well and is a fundamental part of running a business. Yeah. But I'd have to agree, I think there's so much focus on, gosh, the, the regulatory side of things and the legislative requirements that sometimes good old-fashioned management accounting gets the poorer cousin. Yeah, it is. And, and again, for yourself, like as a practitioner, you may love that side of things. Likely you do. That's okay. That's great. But you might think that's still an opportunity to grow advisory services in your business. Then get somebody else to champion it within your business. Train them up, you know, support them. So then they can create these programs and packages that we're doing and start to get your close clients in, give them a bit of a discount and say, you know, we're trying out a new service here and just start to walk your way through it. And you'll find your way and then all of a sudden you'll realise where your value you're adding is and you'll feel really confident that the client's getting a benefit out of it and then you can start to open it up to more. And look, it's a commitment a firm would need to make to create that capacity and, and have those skills available to clients. Yeah, it is. I'll tell you, I just thought of this now, but this is important. We're actually starting a new business in this area purely because we see that accountants um, are struggling with creating, having people to be able to do the advisory services for them. It's really difficult. They don't have the back office ready for it. So we're literally, you know, um, a colleague of mine who comes to our uh, into our business He's now starting to get the bookkeeping for accountants only that have got clients who want to do advisory work and then we'll prepare all the advisory reports for the accountants. So this will assist the accountants who need to skill up on advisory work. So it's a back office for the accountant work, just in that advisory work, bookkeeping Mm. and advisory work. So they don't have to worry about up-training somebody who they haven't really got a lot of budgets or forecasts or had a lot of experience about that. This will be able to help them in future um, just literally be handed some reporting so they can have a better discussion with their clients and, and even train them if we need to. So it's, And that's just been what I've seen working with accountants, especially through CPA Australia, that, that there's an opportunity there to, to help more. Any final comments? Um, final comments. Look, I suppose at the end of the day, um, what I talk to uh, all business owners about and accounts is that if you slow down and think about really what it is you want, what is your ideal, what do you love doing? What are you passionate about? And you can start to work backwards from that and set your business up to do more of that. Um, that's where you shine. It's where you do your best work. Um, it is possible. Um, and I, I, I implore everybody to do the same. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if it's estate planning, it's wealth, it's business, like I'm doing business planning and, and financial management. That's what I love to do. Um, but Everybody can do that and I think just start the journey and, and get some help in because 
it really is uh, a good thing to do if you can um, be a bit more proactive with the client and spend a little bit more time with them asking questions. And, um, you know, accounts are very smart people. They can, they can go and solve them for them if they've got enough time to do it. Brent, you said to me recently that the ATO is often comforted where a business has a good advisor. So is there something to be said from that perspective as well, that if a business has a, a good hand holding it, then this is going to place them in a, a better position when it comes to their dealings with the ATO? Uh, no doubt. Uh, had that experience quite a few times, that if you have a good relationship with the ATO, you can build up trust with them quickly, you respond to them timely, and you give them exactly what they're asking for, and probably a little bit more. Um, you know, you can work in very well with them. And I think they're, at the end of the day, they're there to help. Look, terrific. I really appreciate you coming in. It's really interesting to hear what you've done with your practice and I wish you well with it. Thanks, Robert. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tax Yak. If you're enjoying our podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review the show wherever you are because it will help to improve the profile of the show. If you'd like to connect with us on social media and let us know what you think or suggest future topics or speakers, you'll find us on LinkedIn and Twitter or you can email us at podcast at taxbanter.com .com.au. You can also find our regular blog articles at taxbanter.com.au forward slash banter hyphen blog. We look forward to you joining us next time. Mm-hmm.